All right, welcome back to the Listener's Commentary on the Gospel of Mark. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching effort that's made possible by the support and generosity of people just like you. So if you're one of the people who supports this ministry, thanks a ton. Your generosity is blessing people all around the world, and it literally is not possible without you. If you're somebody who's been impacted by this and been thinking about supporting this work, you can do so at listenerscommentary.com, listenercommentary.com, and you can just click the Give button, and it'll direct you to a page where you can set up a one-time or a recurring monthly donation, and all donations are received in partnership with World Family Mission. Thank you so much for your support. All right, in this recording, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through chapter 16, verse 8. This is actually the conclusion, the formal conclusion to the Gospel of Mark. There is material after verse 8, and scholars wrestle with uh, exactly how is Mark's Gospel supposed to end. We'll talk about that in our next recording, but here, Mark 1542 through 168 is the last formal section of the Gospel of Mark. So let's set it in context where we're at. Jesus had been condemned to die by the Jewish authorities. He'd been brought to Pilate. The Jewish authorities had convinced Pilate to have Jesus condemned and crucified. And now where we're at in the story is Jesus has hung on the cross from nine in the morning to three in the afternoon and he has died. So it's about three in the afternoon. Jesus is on the cross. And the Sabbath, because it is Friday after all, the Sabbath actually begins in just three hours from at about six in the evening uh, is when the Sabbath would begin because the Jews counted their time from six to six. And so the next day, Saturday, the Sabbath begins at six in the evening in about three hours from Jesus' death. And based on Deuteronomy 21, Jesus needs to be buried before the Sabbath begins, before the next day begins. Look at Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23 says this. Now, if a person has committed a sin carrying a sentence of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body is not to be left overnight on the tree, but you shall certainly bury him on the same day, for he who is hanged is cursed by God, so that you don't defile your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And so this specific instruction, stated in terms of Moses' day, 1,500 years before Jesus, but applied in Jesus' day meant that he needs to be uh, buried before nightfall begins so that he doesn't uh, hang on the cross overnight. And since the Sabbath is coming soon and there's no work done on the Sabbath, Jesus needs to be buried in the next couple of hours. That's what this comes down to. And so in this section, uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 42 through 16, 8, in this section, we get Jesus' burial and Jesus' resurrection. Let's begin in Mark 15, 42. When evening had already come, since it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. And so it's preparation for the Sabbath. And so it's late afternoon. We're approaching um, the evening when Sabbath will begin, right? And so it's the day before the Sabbath, Friday afternoon. 
Joseph, verse 43, of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council who was himself also waiting for the kingdom of God, and he gathered up courage, went before Pilate, and asked for the body of Jesus. And so here we meet this man, Joseph of Arimathea. Notice what we know about him. He's a prominent member of the council. So he's a member of the Jewish Supreme Court, the Jewish ruling body, the very Jewish body that put Jesus to death. And presumably, therefore, because of his actions, he wasn't in favor of that. Maybe he wasn't involved in the night's trial. Who knows? But he certainly wasn't in favor of the decision. And so he's a member of the council. He himself is waiting for the kingdom of God. That's Mark's way of saying he was looking for God's kingdom to come through the Messiah. Maybe even sympathetic towards Jesus a little bit. And notice he gathered up courage. It takes courage to do what he's about to do. When the very Jewish Supreme Court, of which you're a prominent member, condemns Jesus to die for you to break with their decision and go ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. That's a courageous act. And so he gathered up courage. He went before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And so as a man of high standing, he has the status to go to Pilate and has the status to get Pilate to release Jesus' body. So there's Joseph of Arimathea going before Pilate. Well, Pilate needs to confirm that Jesus is indeed dead by this time. Oftentimes, crucifixion victims could hang on the cross for more than a day. And so Pilate needs to get official word that, in fact, he is dead and he can be buried. And so verse 44, Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time and summoning the centurion who was overseeing the crucifixion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And so Pilate's looking for official word. Is he indeed dead? Verse 45, after learning this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. And so Pilate gets confirmation from the centurion overseeing the crucifixion that indeed Jesus is dead. And therefore he gives permission to Joseph of Arimathea to go and take and bury the body of Jesus. Verse 46, Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been cut out of rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Jews who had means, Jews who could afford a tomb, would have a tomb like this, a cave-like tomb that had been cut into the rocks. Those tombs oftentimes sort of had like a a entryway, and then maybe even various little rooms sometimes in these tombs. And in those rooms, they would have like a a bench that had been carved into the rock, a shelf almost carved into the rock. And you would lay the body on that shelf in uh, the tomb until all the flesh had decomposed. Then after that had happened, then you would go in, you would gather up all the bones and you'd put them into an ossuary or a bone box. And thus tombs could be used for multiple burials. Now, we know from the other gospels that this was actually the, uh, the, a tomb that had never been used before. So this is its first use. So Joseph wraps Jesus up in a long linen sheet, freshly bought for this occasion. And Uh, buries him in this tomb and closed up the tomb with a large stone uh, over the opening of this cave-like tomb. Verse 47 tells us that those women that Mark had mentioned that we saw in our last recording that were there watching the execution of Jesus and supporting him in his death, right? Like right there, well, those women were also 
paying attention when he was buried. Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were watching to see where he was laid. And so they watched uh, Joseph of Arimathea and whoever may have helped him move the body off the cross and into the tomb. They, they saw that it was a hasty burial because time was running out, right? Like they had to get him buried quickly. So these women noticed that it was a hasty burial. And that's why they're going to do what they will do as the story continues to unfold. Luke actually tells us that they went to where they were staying and prepared spices and perfume so that when the Sabbath was over, they could actually finish the burial process. Mark doesn't tell us that, but he notes in the next verse that they brought the spices they had prepared. And so we continue the story in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. And so here we have this group of women, those women that were there at his crucifixion, women who had watched where he was buried, women who have prepared spices, waited through the Sabbath. Now they, they come so that they can finish the burial process and anoint him. And so verse 2, very early on the first day of the week, that is Sunday morning. And so it's Sunday morning, which is why the church celebrates on Sunday morning, to celebrate the resurrection, to celebrate the Lord's day, the resurrection day. And so very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb as the sun was rising. And so they come to the tomb early in the morning around sunrise. Tombs of these wealthies, right? They were sometimes fairly large, described that. And so they're coming to this tomb, and on the way, they begin to discuss an important detail of their plan that they probably hadn't totally thought through in their grief and their desire to bury him. So look at verse 3. And they were saying to one another, so they're on the way to the tomb right around sunrise, and they're saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us, right? Those large rolling stones, quite heavy. Uh, how are they going to move that to get in there to anoint this body after all? And it's already been a few days. And so, right, things are going to be a little bit rough. They haven't thought through all the details. This first detail is important. How is this going to happen? Well, as they're saying that, verse 4, Looking up, they noticed that the stone had been rolled away, for it was extremely large. So this is a large stone, super heavy stone, not something that uh, a couple women could move, probably not even something a couple men could move. You're going to take a little bit of uh, extra strength to get this thing moved, but it had already been rolled away. And so somehow that had happened, and now they could enter the tomb. And so verse 5, entering the tomb... They saw a young man sitting to the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And so Mark is very brief, very condensed. He doesn't give us tons of details. They enter into the vestibule, the entryway of this tomb, and off to their right, there's a man sitting there. But it's not your ordinary man, apparently, because whatever it is about this man, it's amazing. He's wearing a white robe. All of this is to cue us off that this was not a normal man. Uh, the other accounts actually say that there were two men there. They highlight that detail. One was the spokesman, but there were two men, and that their clothes weren't just white, they were gleaming white in the dark cave. And so Mark doesn't tell us all these details, he just hints at it by saying, there's a young man sitting there wearing a white robe, and the women were amazed. And verse 6, he said to them, 
Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See, here's the place where they laid him and points out that shelf that he had been laid on, but now it's empty. In fact, the Gospel of John notes that burial cloth is still there. The head cloth was still there, but the body is gone. And so as we picture this, we can imagine this stone shelf with the burial cloth and the head cloth lying there and a couple angels in the tomb. Here, Mark notes just one in gleaming white clothes pointing out, look, body is gone. And so the angel continues in verse 7, but go, tell his disciples, and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Jesus had been predicting this, telling them this was going to happen, right? And so you will see him there. And they went out, verse 8, and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were terrified. And that's the way Mark's gospel formally ends. Now, there's all sorts of questions about why it ends here. Is the material that actually comes after this in verses 9 through 16 part of the original or not? And scholars debate that and wrestle with that. We'll look at that in our next recording. But it seems like this is the formal ending of Mark's gospel, which is such an abrupt and shocking ending. And that's part of the reason why there is this extra material at the end. It's part of the reason why everyone wrestles with it. And we, we, we tend to just wonder, well, man, did Mark just end it here? Did something happen? Is a part of it been lost, right? Is the extra stuff actually part of the original? And we, as scholars, wrestle with some of that. But it's an appropriate ending in many regards. If this is the way Mark intended to end his gospel, um, it's not an inappropriate ending, particularly for his original audience who are being persecuted for their faith. And you have Jesus being risen, that being confirmed, and these women being gripped by both astonishment and fear, and then saying nothing to anyone because they're afraid. And it forces us and forced the original readers to wrestle with, well, what about us? Do we really believe he's been risen? And if so, are we going to let the fear of man keep us from saying anything or not? Um, and so if Mark's gospel ends here, that may really be the force of the way Mark intended it to end. Or, as I said, there may be uh, other explanations for it. We'll look at some of those in the recording that follows.